Heavenly Father, thank you for another night we can get together as family, Lord, and I pray that, God, that we can just see ourselves the way that you see us. And we rest in that, we rely on you and everything we do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Part of the state that I'm from is is really rural, and, and it was more about what you did than expressing what your feelings were. Like the expectation is that you just you just get through it. You find a way to to push through. Then there's there's not a whole lot of reason to communicate those things. My biggest struggle was insecurity. I struggle with feeling like I belong, and I struggle with feeling like people would want to spend time with me. That I want to keep to myself. I want to show that I'm worth investing in it. I think I see myself as a people person. Like I've always approached life as sort of a journey together. People curate their images to others because they're scared that if people saw who they really were, that they wouldn't be loved the same or they'd be treated differently. The unfortunate truth is they're probably right. I think we're shamed a lot in and out of the church. So yeah, the hustle's real. The dark is known. And the dark is manageable. It felt like I'm, I'm going through world all alone and there's nobody else that's experiencing this world the way that I am, or even close to the way that I am. It was also a weight. It was very, very heavy, to the point where it feels like a physical weight um, on your shoulders and on your chest. I got to a point where I was laying in my bed, and I had the barrel of a shot, 12-gauge shotgun under my chin. I'm thinking about, like, what type of burden am I leaving? I think darkness can manifest in people's lives, feeling that they're unique in their suffering almost, that what they are going through, no one can understand. The way out of darkness is illumination, right? To bring light to the things that are holding us, that are trapping us. But to illuminate those things goes back to vulnerability. Is that scarier than the darkness I sit alone in? Our first night at group, there was there's another person in our group. Uh, she opened up that night about some of the things that she was struggling with. And I mean in a very vulnerable way. And I did not share anything that night. After kind of sitting there in silence for uh, months, really, uh, one night it got to be my turn. <laughs> and this dam just breaks. And um, I'm crying in front of this group of people. 
sharing with them all these things that I've been struggling with and all these ways that I feel like I don't measure up. And, but in that night, like I look around the room and it's not finger wagging, it's, it's, yeah, we get it. Like we've been there. The weight on my shoulders just feels like it's just disappearing. Infidelity, addictions, mental illness, financial, spiritual crises. Every time someone's been vulnerable about one of those things, somebody else has said, me too. They're not alone in those. That's the church, a place where people who are broken and bruised and battered can come and honestly say, I am broken and bruised and battered and be loved more for it. Without real vulnerability, you're just, you're just making relationships with fake people. You have got to really share with people who you really are. If you're debating on should I join a small group? Is that worth my time? I think if your experience is like mine was, you're not going to regret it. Like, there's a place where I belong. There's a place where I can always go, and there's a whole list of phone numbers that I can call. I can't imagine my life without these people being a part of it. Hey, can you join me in honoring Kevin and Chad, just praising God for their story, their willingness to share, excited about all that God is doing in Irma. My name is Josh Walters. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. I want to welcome you today, wherever you're joining from, in person at the campus or online. I know we've got a lot more folks online than usual today. Some of our upstate campuses are snowed in, which is beautiful, but be safe. Either way, we're glad that you are with us online. You can probably tell as you came in if you were at a campus in person today or by that video that it's Connect Weekend here at Seacoast, where we do everything that we can to make it easy for you to take a next step into community, that you would find some friends to run with, to spur you on, folks that love you but aren't all that impressed with you, people you can celebrate with, pray with, study God's word with. And it's not just a church thing that we're inviting you to be a part of. It's a God thing that he desires for your life. It's the life he modeled for us with the disciples. I remember when Katie and I first started here at Seacoast. It was in 2008. It was in a season where our marriage was unraveling. We didn't know anybody in Charleston, and we started here at Seacoast, and a guy was kicking off a small group, and he said, hey, why don't you and Katie come? And over time, that group of strangers became the place where one is just a man, husband, father, pastor. I learned vulnerability for the first time. Kind of the narrative that I had been taught or that I operated in was that I needed to be the guy with the answers. You know, you don't talk about things you're struggling with or how you're really feeling because it could be perceived as weak. You just keep hustling, grinding, working hard. Nobody had told me that. It was just kind of the narrative that I had believed. Well, in that season where my marriage was struggling and the things that mattered most to me seemed to be slipping away, man, it was like a lifeline for me to put everything on the table. And what I found was guys that loved me, couples that were willing to fight for us. Katie and I experienced healing. And so when we say, man, sign up for a small group, check out a small group, it's out of a desire that you would experience the life that Jesus came for you to experience, that you would experience it in community, that you would walk with folks. And I know in a crowd this side, there's some of you extroverts that are like, yeah, dog, this is what I've been waiting for. 
I done text connect to 32325 times. I'm going to find a bunch of green. You know, like some of you are excited, but the introverts in the room, it's painful just to hear me talk about this. You're like, is there a line I could get in just to be throat punched and like get it over with? All right. And so because of that, we're not asking you to sign up for the year or even for the month, but I am inviting you to take a step, take ownership in this area, take it a week at a time, day at a time, check out a group and see if God doesn't show up in a powerful way. There's in-person groups at all of our campuses, just about every kind you could think of. We just kicked off a bunch of different groups online as well for military wives or dads and Enneagram study grief share. I was on a group a couple weeks ago with folks all over the country that are joining us online. And it all starts by you texting the word connect to 320-320. It'll prompt you with the campus that you attend or whether you're online and lay out those group options for you, but want to challenge you, man, take that next step and see if God doesn't move in a powerful way. I want to take just a minute and pray over all the groups that are going to be kicking off, all the leaders that are going to be leading them, knowing that there's couples just like Katie and I that are going to show up in a group and use you in a powerful way. So let's pray for them and our time together as we get started. God, we thank you so much for this church family, and I'm thankful that 14 years ago, there was a living room that you had prepared with our name on it, with a small group leader that had made his home and heart available to walk with us, pour into us, that that would become the environment, that those would become the people that you would use to save our marriage, the thing most precious to me. I just praise you for that. And I pray today, confident that there's folks that are lonely, battling addiction, folks that are just looking for some friends, and their willingness to text connect and take that step is going to be the thing that you use to bring about breakthrough in their life. So we pray over them, pray over every small group leader, God, equip them to care for and serve those that are going to be in their group. And we pray for our time together today. God, may your word not return void. Show up and speak to each of us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey, for the last couple of weeks, we've been in a series called How to Be Happy. And I think we would all agree, like, man, I could use some happiness in my life this year. What does that look like? And as a pastor and even as a believer, I've always thought and even taught things like God cares a lot more about my holiness than he does my happiness. Meaning he, he's a lot more passionate about my pursuit of righteousness, my desire to live in a way that honors and pleases him with the attitudes of my mind and my heart and my behaviors that I would live in a way that brings glory to him. He cares a lot more about that than he does my experience here on this earth, that I might have a smile on my face. Happiness has always felt kind of light and circumstantial based on the things that I have or things that are outside of me. But in kicking off this year, Pastor Josh said, hey, I want us to do a series on the Beatitudes. And so we started doing some studying and some reading and come to find out it's a, it's a series of eight verses in the beginning of Matthew chapter five, each of which start with the word blessed. And one of the translations for that word blessed is happy. And what's interesting to the Beatitudes is that it's Jesus' first sermon it's his longest sermon, and he saw fit to give us this series of eight different kingdom principles that should we choose to live out <clears throat> would ultimately bring about blessing and happiness in our life. And so it's made me face the reality that, you know what? Yes, God cares about my holiness, but he also cares about my happiness, right? He came that I might have life and have it more abundantly. And I don't know about you, but I've never seen anybody living their best life, right? Living that abundant life with a frown on their face. Have you ever seen that? Hey, bro, how's it going, man? It's all good, man. Crushing it, crushing it right about now. If I was any better, I'd be twins. <laughs> and I was like, if you're happy, tell your face, bro. Like, I'm not, I'm not buying it, right? And so God cares about our happiness, that we would be people marked by joy, that they would see the life that he came to offer 
on our face. And so every week of this series, we're taking one beatitude at a week. This is the third week of the series. So we're going to be in the third one, which is found in Matthew chapter five, verse five. And this is what it says. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Man, that sounds good. But if you're anything like me, you've got to think like, well, what does that mean? Right? I got all kind of questions with that one. Well, in case it's your first time or maybe you missed the last two weeks, I want us to start off by reading all eight Beatitudes just to give you some context so that we can look at the structure of them because ultimately it'll help us understand the one that we're going to be looking at today. It starts in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, what's interesting about these Beatitudes is that the first one and the last one, verse 3 and verse 8, are in present tense. Blessed are the, the pure in heart, and blessed are those who will be persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Meaning, here today, as children of God, their calling, their privilege is to establish the kingdom of heaven here on earth. They're in present tense. The other six in the middle are all in future tense. Well, because of that, scholars say that all eight Beatitudes carry a present future assurance, meaning that there's a promise for eternity, something that you can bank on, that can build faith in you about your future, but there's also something that you can stand on and have hope in today. For example, last week, Pastor Josh taught on verse four, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. One of my favorite passages, life verse, has been Psalm 34, 18. It says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Meaning, God cares when we are in pain. He's given us his spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. The Bible calls the Holy Spirit our counselor, our comforter, our friend. Meaning, in times where I'm hurting, when I'm grieving, the spirit of God is close to me. I can be confident that today, anytime I go through pain, anytime you as a believer go through pain, that God is close to you, supernaturally close to you, but also in the future and talking about the new heaven and the new earth, Revelation 21 verses three and four says it this way. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. So see, the, the present assurance is that his spirit's going to comfort me in my pain. But in the future, God himself, my heavenly father, will wipe away every tear from my eye. That I'll live in a new heaven and a new earth. That all of us as Christ followers will inherit the earth. That God our father will be there just as he intended it to be in the beginning. So the question then is, what does that present future assurance look like for us in the passage that we're reading today? Well, in the future, just like the passage that we just read in Revelation 21, uh, God is going to create a new heaven and a new earth. And it's not just for me or you, but for the family of God. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. All of us. That means that you don't have to worry about traveling the earth or the places that you've dreamed to see or longed to see that you never had a chance to. 
as a family, we're going to have eternity to experience that together. But what does it mean for me today, right? Have you ever met anybody who was going to receive a huge inheritance? I don't just mean like a little beach house or a chunk of money, but like a a legacy-altering, generation-altering sum of money. Man, they live with with a sense of confidence and security, right? With a sense of peace that is uncommon because they know they don't have to worry about their future. It's taken care of. They don't have to stress over what they're going to do, how they're going to handle college for the kids. What does the future look like, right? Because it's been settled. And so what this verse is saying for you and I is that as believers, man, we can live today with all of the things that money can't buy. People will spend their lives hustling for for peace, for joy, right? For, For comfort, confidence, for security. But as Christ followers, all of that stuff is available to us today and it's promised to us. In eternity. The bigger question for me is what in the world does meek mean? Y'all act like you know, but you don't know. <laughs> be honest with me. How many of you, and you can be proud in raising your hand, have used the word meek in conversation at some point over the last month? There's like two, three. You're also the people that memorize Webster's word of the day and try to use it in a sentence. We're proud of both of you. Okay. <laughs> All right. We don't use that. Hey, man, how's the job hunt going? You found that job you were looking for? Yeah, man, I got the job. I love the boss. The team is great. I start Monday. Man, if I'm going to be honest, there's just a lot of meekness going on in my life right now. (laughs) Awesome, man. What about that girl? What about that girl you were seeing? Man, is it working out? Did y'all go out like, yeah, man, we're actually legit now. It's official. DTR, we defined the relationship. We're dating, you know. I can't wait for you to meet her, man. She's got long brown hair. She loves the Lord, man. She's meek. What'd you say? She's a freak? No, man, she's meek. She's meek. (laughs) It's just not a word that we use. And because of that, we don't have any context for it. Culturally, when you hear the word, you think meek, soft, weak, pushover, lacking in motivation or drive. If you were to say, hey, Tell me about the attributes you want your child to embody. Like meek wouldn't make the list because culturally for us, it's not it's not an attribute that we would aspire for or something we desire for ourselves or for our kids. But it is a God word. It's one that Jesus spoke over himself in Matthew 11, 29. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in heart and you shall find rest unto your souls. Now, what's unique to this word meek is that depending on the translation of the Bible that you use, each of them use the words humble or gentle or meek interchangeably. And there's some translations of the Bible that don't even use the word meek at all. But the New Testament in the original language was written in Greek. And the reality is that that meek and humble are two different words. For humble, the word used is uh, tapaneo, and it means to humble yourself or to be humbled. Like what's unique to that word, the Bible tells us that Jesus humbled himself, taking on the very nature of a servant. All authority in heaven and earth had been given to him, yet he chose to humble himself. Humility is one of those things you can choose for yourself or it can be put on you, right? Do you remember the last time that you were humbled? I kicked off the year going to the gym. I just realized over the last year or so, as with like every other person in the room probably, right? We're all going to make our physical health a priority. You know, like, see you in February at church, not at the gym. Right? And so I've been going to the gym because the truth is like your boy's been winded like carrying the laundry hamper upstairs, right? 
or I'll carry the baby from the car to the nursery. It's like a half mile. My biceps burning. I'm sweating. Like, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna get back in the gym. So I've been doing a basic like boot camp of like I'm gonna do cardio every time I go, chest and tries, back and buys, shoulders, like just get getting back into it so I can walk without being winded for now. Well, the other day I met a father and son. They live in Wild Dunes, been coming to Seacoast for a couple of years, haven't been back since COVID. They're about to move to South Africa again. And so just enjoyed hearing some of their story. And a couple of days later, uh, the son walked up to me at the gym and he's like, hey, Pastor Josh, what's up, man? It's like, what's up, man? We did the little dude hug thing, you know, like, hey, what's up? How you doing? Whatever. And he was like, hey, I was wondering, um, you, want, you want me to uh, you want me to text you a couple workouts? So there was only one of two things happening here. He either thought like, Pastor Josh doesn't know what he's doing in here, or he thought what he's trying to do ain't going to get him the help he needs. You know? and, so, and so, so I said, uh, yeah, man. Yeah, let me give you my, let me give you my cell. <laughs> and Charles, I did the workout yesterday. It's going to be good, but it humbled me. Okay. And I was humbled somehow all in the same experience there, but that's how it works. With humility, you can humble yourself or you can be humble. But the word used for meek is praates, and it means strength under control, strength under control. It's kind of the imagery of a wild stallion or a tamed one. You know, see a wild stallion out in the field, like just running wherever it wants, stirring up a, a fuss, bucking and whatnot. And when you capture a wild stallion, man, there is a lot of a lot of that bucking and resistance until they come under the hand of another. Well, this word meek in Latin is actually made up of two words, the first of which means used, and the second means being underhand. So used to being underhand. In other words, meekness is actually the vehicle that God wants to use to tame the wild within you and I. That bucking, the resistance, the fight and fire that can come out of us. Meek isn't weak. It's a vehicle that God wants to use to bring the strength within us under control, the wild within us that it might be tamed. And so my question for you is, are there any areas within you that are wild? Some of y'all laugh. I'm not talking about party wild. Like, yeah, when that music comes on, boy, it comes out. I can't help it. You know, not that. <laughs> but areas where you feel like a fire within you. I mean, imagine like a forest fire, right? They just burn until they go out. People will fight to put them out, water and sand and all the things, and that thing's just raging through. Maybe you're not known as a yeller. None of your friends would say like, man, he goes off the chain, she goes off the chain. But something about you when you get home with your spouse, they're your safe person, right? And you can let it all out. Something aggravates you, and it's like, ah! Well, meekness is the vehicle God wants to use to tame that wild. Or maybe it's in an area of your spending, like you just feel like you cannot get this under control. You go shopping and somehow every month, man, you run out of, you run out of money before you run out of month. And it's like, oh, this is burning me up. Meekness is the vehicle that God wants to use to tame that within us. The question then is how do we do it? Like what does meekness look like in our lives? How can I get me some of that? Because man, I feel it at times. If, what if I told you you were heading into a conversation? I said, hey, listen, just so you know, before you, you have this conversation, you're in a conflict with somebody. And I said, hey, listen, just so you know, the outcome's already been predetermined. It's going to be in your favor. In fact, you're going to get to decide any consequences or next steps. You can decide whether or not you even want to apologize, right? 
you would probably step into that conversation with a degree of peace and confidence, knowing that you don't have to assert yourself, you don't have to fight, you don't have to get all riled up, right? You would posture yourself differently. Yet you let me get in an argument with my toddler. <laughs> I get to determine the outcome. I'm the one in charge. I can decide whether or not I want to apologize. And somehow I'm standing there in front of this four-year-old like, I'm about to lose my mind. Gosh, I can feel so wild. It is not what I see in the behavior and heart and attributes of Christ, but man, I want that for me. It was one of his attributes. What would it look like for it to be one of ours? Couple of thoughts for us. First of which is this. I can be meek, number one, through the power of the Holy Spirit. I can be meek through the power of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 and 23 lists out the fruits of the Spirit. If you're anything like me, you probably memorized them this way. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. All of those are words that you, you may have used in the last month, right? They're a little more common to us. But what's interesting about this text is that in just about every translation, it's one where the word meekness is substituted for gentleness. The King James Version, King Jimmy, is the only one that I could find that actually used the word meekness. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance against such things, there is no law. Well, unlike humility, where I can choose to humble myself, we can't just muster up meekness. We can't just decide, I'm going to have this fire within me. I'm going to have this strength under control. It's a work that only the Holy Spirit can do. The fruit of the Spirit is evidence of his Spirit in our lives. And that's not saying that you're going to get it perfect. That's not saying that you're never going to lose it or that you're always going to get it right but that you're committed to walking a road, walking a path where his spirit might bear fruit for that in your life. One of the definitions for meek from Webster's dictionary says, enduring offense or injury with patience and without resentment. It's like, man, enduring offense without resentment. I've been walking with God for 25 years and the amount of times I've been offended or hurt by someone and I find myself driving home, stewing over what I wish I would have said, could have said, ought to said, what I'm going to say the next time I see him, <laughs> only to remember I'm a Christian and we don't do stuff like that. And it's like, <laughs> give me one chance, God. Come on, let me give it to him. <laughs> it's like, ah, oh. but that's the work of meekness in our lives. But it, it doesn't just happen the moment we give our lives to him. The money verse of what it looks like, Luke 9, 23 says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross. And here's the word daily and follow me. Take up our cross and daily follow him. See this work of taming the wild. And I've seen so many videos and, and movies of seeing folks tame wild horses. I mean, it's, it's a daily work, right? Daily work, having this horse come under the hand of another. And for us in our lives, you can give your life to Jesus, but to see meekness bear fruit in your life tomorrow requires you getting up and saying, okay, God, here I am yet again. You know the fires within me. You know the wild within me, but I come under your hand. I come under your way. God, would you bring about this meekness in my life? So number one, I can be meek through the power of the Holy Spirit. Number two, by acknowledging the strength within me. I can be meek by acknowledging the strength within me. Remember, meekness biblically means power under control. So in other words, you can't be meek unless you are strong. Another way to say that would be 
Meek ain't weak. Turn to your neighbor and say, Meek ain't weak. Meek ain't weak. Now turn to your other neighbor and say, I'm finna flex and show you what I'm talking about. <laughs> Meek ain't weak. Where again, culturally, man, that's not the context that, that we have. See, as a Christ follower, there's two great strengths within me. The first of which is my sin nature, the strength of my flesh. Paul talks about it this way in Romans 7. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Can you imagine being in a conversation with Paul, being like, what in the world are you talking about, man? <laughs> you need to see Pastor Chip. Do need some help, right? But I read that passage and think like, yeah, that's me. Like, I can relate to that. I have so many good intentions, right? So many things I want to do that are good, but my flesh, man, the strength within me, it can lead you to do so many things you regret, say things. As soon as they leave your mouth, you're like, ah, can I take it back? I'm like, I didn't mean it like that, right? It's a great strength. Well, the second great strength within me is the Spirit of God. Romans 8, 11 says this, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same spirit. Everybody say same spirit. Same spirit living in you. Not a Josh-sized spirit, not a junior spirit, not a portion of the spirit that's allocated based on your performance, giving, and church attendance, right? The same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead lives within you and I. And regardless of how strong the desires of my flesh may be, the things that I want to do that I don't do, Man, the spirit of God in me is strong. We don't have a problem talking about God the Father being strong. Man, I want him to be all-powerful and almighty. But if I were to sit down with you and say, hey, let's write down a list of 10 words that describe you. Would strong make the list? What's unique to strength and gentleness and humility in the kingdom of God is the source of our strength. Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. It says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness and insult and hardship and persecution and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This was Kevin's story in the beginning. Man, in his weakness, in his vulnerability, he found incredible strength. Now, if you were being painfully honest, like you might not have a problem saying I'm weak, talking about yourself as weak, but God has not given you a spirit of weakness, that you wouldn't have a weak spirit, that you wouldn't have a weak mind or weak emotions or a weak body. He has given you a spirit of strength. And if we're going to be meek, if we're going to see the spirit bring this out in our lives, then we have to speak that over ourselves as well to say, you know what? I'm strong. I'm strong, you know, like put a little, whatever you got to say, put a little dance to it, but that you might believe that's the spirit within you. That's what he's given you. That's what he desires for you. So I can be meek, number one, through the power of the Holy Spirit. I can be meek, two, by acknowledging the strength within me. And I can be weak or meek, number three, when I choose to come under the word of God. I can be meek when I choose to come under the word of God. James 1.21 says it this way. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. What that means is any attitude or action, any behaviors on your part that you know are grieving the spirit of God. 
that aren't consistent with Scripture. He's saying, hey, put all of that stuff behind you and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your soul. You know, when it comes to the word of God, there's really only three different ways that you can engage with it. The first of which is to put yourself over it. That whether you're hearing it taught or reading it, that you would see yourself as the authority over it. Uh, that for anything that you would read as you try to determine how do I apply this in my life, if I should apply this in my life, do I think this is true for me? You are the ultimate source of authority in deciding how you engage with the word of God. The second way you could approach with it is a little more side by side, like it's a peer. It's something that you turn to for, for wisdom and insight. Uh, it is an authority in your life, but it is not the authority in your life. If there comes a point where you have a disagreement on how you see a particular issue, it's okay for you to part ways. So you like Jersey Mike's? Well, I like Subway. I'm going to get mine. You, you be you. You know, We hear that a lot in, in culture. It's more of a peer. I, I pick and choose the parts of it that I want to come under. Then the last way is to, to place yourself under the word of God, that it would be the primary authority in your life, that when it comes to the way that you live, the, the feelings you have, the thoughts you have, you work to take your thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. You try to walk out the way that you're supposed to use your time and your gifts, leverage your resources, the way that you forgive and love and serve and care for people, the Bible, that acrostic basic instructions before leaving earth. You turn to it for every aspect of your life. God, would you lead me? Would you guide me? Would you help me to do the things within this book? To receive with meekness. That word in Latin, to come under. That's the imagery that we might live lives up under the word of God. That we might receive with meekness the word that can save our souls. We can be meek. We can be meek through the power of the Holy Spirit by acknowledging the strength within us when we choose to come under his word. A couple years ago, uh, Katie and I went with a group of friends to Hawaii to celebrate a buddy's 40th birthday. And I remember when we got there, the culture of Hawaii feeling almost offensive to me. Like we would find a restaurant that we love be like, man, we got to go back there tomorrow. That was good. I love that poke bowl, whatever that is. So we show back up tomorrow and there's a sign on the door. Sorry, closed today. Enjoy the surf. I was like, what? You don't roll like that when you own a restaurant. Like you open up, man, come on. But in Hawaii, it wasn't about culturally. It wasn't about grinding and earning and saving. They cared so much more about the quality of life they experienced than the stuff they, they acquired. And so for every restaurant we went to, Uber driver, I was constantly interviewing people like, hey, talk to me about your day. Talk to me about your goals. Talk to me about work. How do you work, whatever. And I remember one of our Uber drivers said, uh, hey, there's people from the mainland. That's you and me. There's people from the mainland that work their whole lives to come here for a week that don't realize this quality of life is available to them every day. I just thought, ooh, man. Like culturally, strength for us says like you work hard, you lean in, you hustle, you grind, you go get it. I heard a song the other day uh, by the, that The Rock is in. It's called Rumble with The Rock. And there was a line in the song. I would not suggest the song. So don't go Google search it. But I'll read you a line from the song. <laughs> but it says, it's about drive. It's about power. We stay hungry. We devour. Put in the work. Put in the hours. And take what's ours. I thought, man, for a significant portion of our culture, that's the world that they live in. Hunger, drive, take it. But what's unique to our destiny the purpose that God has for my life and yours is that it is always received and not achieved. 
And that is the heart of meekness. There is another path for you that requires you coming under the word of God, coming under the hand of God, that you might believe that there is blessing for you when you live according to his will, his word and way, that there would be happiness as a result of it, peace for your spirit, joy for your life. But we've got to approach it his way. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word. And I thank you, God, for this attribute that all authority in heaven and earth had been given to you, but you chose to humble yourself, that you embodied meekness, that you showed us a different way. And I pray for each of us today, whether it's for the wild within us, the things that can just feel like they light a fire inside of us, or for the relentless drive that it feels like we just give ourselves to and get caught up in the hustle and grind and have forfeited the things that money can't buy, the peace and joy in our lives. God, might we surrender to a different path today? Would your spirit bring about a meekness within us uh, to actually pray, God, I don't want anything that, that you don't want for me, but I want everything that you want for me. Allow us to receive your love, your goodness, your presence today. In Jesus' name, amen.